Welcome to episode 112 of the Fertility Podcast. I'm putting this out at the start of December 2017. I don't know where this year has gone. I hope wherever you found this podcast, uh, if your year hasn't been great because you've been diagnosed with potentially needing fertility treatment and you're heading into Christmas with a heavy heart, one thing that I want to say is that there are some episodes here that I'm going to put links to in the show notes for this episode to help you overcome some of those overwhelming feelings that you might get around Christmas when all the family comes together and there's lots of children around and lots of people are so happy and maybe you're feeling utterly shit. So um, do make sure you check out the show notes and what I will say as someone who had fertility treatment and found out just before Christmas Eve that we needed it, it really took over Christmas and it was an awful time and if you do need to shut yourself off and cry and feel sorry for yourself, of course you can. You can do whatever you want right now because if you're in a place that you aren't happy being in and you're heading into this kind of assumed happy time, Christmas is hard for all sorts of people in all different ways. But when you're dealing with infertility, it can really make you withdraw. So just know that you're not alone in those feelings and hopefully there'll be some ways that um, you can find to cope from the episodes I'm going to put the links to. And also on the different Facebook groups, there's amazing Facebook support groups. And there's my Facebook page, again, which I'll put details uh, in at the end of this podcast. If this is your first listen to the Fertility Podcast, I'm Natalie. I'm your host. As I mentioned, I've been through treatment myself and I've been making episodes to give you some that you can learn more from. I'm no expert, but I've spoken to all sorts of people from experts to people sharing their own journeys. And I hope that you find the Fertility Podcast is a trusted place you can come back to and know that you can maybe find out something you didn't know. Maybe it'll answer some questions or, or if it just makes you feel less alone, then I've achieved my mission. Now, infertility affects us in so many different ways and I'm always struck at what we have to do to overcome it. And my next guest is a perfect example of someone who, despite having a diagnosis of something that I have covered in this podcast before, she basically turned it to her advantage and has dedicated her life's work, really, to what she's been going through. So have a listen. I'm now going to welcome Andrea Trigo to the podcast, who has an organisation called Infertile Life. And I bumped into Andrea at the Fertility Show, and she has a fascinating story to tell. Andrea, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Natalie. Thank you for having me. Now, I've learned a little bit more about you since I met you. And it's quite amazing what you found out when you were only a teenager. So do you want to just tell me what happened at 17 years old in your life that has basically changed the course of what you've now done? Yeah, so I was very young at 17, but um, I found out I had this condition called MRKH, which means I was born without a uterus and my vagina was shorter. So I was missing the top third of my vagina. And the reason why I found out was because even though I developed just as other teenage girls do, I never had my period. So I was always waiting for my periods to start. And at 17, I was examined and, and that's when they found out I had no, no uterus and I needed surgery to reconstruct the top of my vagina. 
So it was dealing with all, all the emotions that we know that infertility brings at an age where I didn't really have the coping mechanisms yet to cope with it. In the talk I saw you give, you gave a really interesting stat because you're from Portugal, aren't you? Yes. And you said how in 1993, the year you were born, 14 people were born with MRKH and unfortunately you were one of them. Yes. So it happens one in 5,000. So it's rare but it's not that rare when we think about 5,000 people. We have so many people in the UK, so there are still a lot of people with MRKH, but unfortunately, uh, people are very ashamed of, of telling other people that they are born without a uterus. And of course, they are dealing with all the questions. They are feeling their identity challenged, um, their self-worth, their, their self-image. And making sense of all those feelings when you are 17 is very difficult. So a lot of people are ashamed and don't talk about it. I mean, I can't imagine having to deal with something like that at 17. And you said that you'd said to yourself, if I can overcome this, there is nothing in life I can't accomplish. I mean, to say something like that to yourself at that age, amazing. So what what happened next? Yeah, so, so just like everyone else, I was asking, why me? Why is this? happening to me I don't understand it and my dad kept saying one day you will understand don't ask why one day you will understand and I started reading some books on positive psychology so I started believing that one day everything would make make sense in my head that's why I've made a decision I'm going to overcome it and so after that having made that decision of course, things didn't happen in a week, in a month. It took years, actually, to to cope with, with these feelings. But it meant that I started a journey of um, making sure I was going to do whatever it takes to be happy, regardless of my circumstances. So I took, um, I finished my degree in, as a nurse and I carried on. And I, I always uh, dedicated myself too much to work, to be honest, and I accomplished so much at a very young age because I had made that decision that I was able to live a meaningful life and I was able to be very successful despite my my fertility challenges, despite my my fears, my my questions about my, my worth and, and my value in society. How did it affect your confidence as far as relationships then? At the time I've I've made a decision I want to be honest with everyone I I date, so I never wanted to to lie to anyone about my fertility problems. And of course, I had to have surgery to reconstruct my vagina. So that took almost a year of recovery. I was dating someone at the time and he was really, really understanding. It was the right person at the right time. How, how you have that conversation, though, when you're not immature, but you're quite young, it must have been quite embarrassing, was it? Yes, very, very embarrassing. Um, so... I had surgery. He knew what was happening. He was visiting me in hospital. When I was discharged, I had to wear what they call a vaginal prosthesis, which mm. is basically a dildo inside me 24-7. Um, and I was in my first year at university. So you can imagine how challenging that is being at university, trying to focus on class exams. And uh, of course, I had a relationship and... I had a dildo inside me 24-7. I still don't know how I could cope with having a normal life despite everything that was happening, but I think it kept me busy. And it's just 
when life presents us extraordinary challenges, I think we find extraordinary strength within us. Definitely. When I look back, I'm still surprised myself. Well, what about girlfriends? Were you were you confiding in some of your close friends? Yeah, so I didn't want to to shy away from having MRKH. So I wanted to be open because I felt if I'm going through it, there are more people going through it. So there was, at the time of my surgery, I did um, a piece that uh, went on the news at 8 p.m. and they called it the girl without vagina, which at the time was very shocking for me because I was going through so many challenges brought up by uh, this infertility um, and that was the title they, they chose to go on the news. Gosh. So that put me in front of everyone with nowhere to hide. But it also brought me a lot of people from all over Portugal who were going through it and felt very alone. So that was the beginning of creating our own support group and letting people know that you are not alone and you're still a woman and uh, we, can, we can cope with this. Now, you mentioned that you started studying and what you're now doing with your work is incorporating different techniques that you've learned to help people in the way that you've just described. And I want to talk about the Fertility Canvas and the five-step program that you have created to kind of help work out where somebody's at and how you can work with them. So I've been a nurse for the last 12 years and I've been supporting these people but not professionally. I always felt I didn't want to do it professionally because it was too close to home mm. and I didn't know if I had already coped with, with my own issues enough yet. So it was only two years ago that I decided I'm okay. I'm at peace uh, with myself now where I am in life. I'm okay with having my own unique fertility plan. So I feel like that I want to help other people professionally because I've reached a place that would be so beneficial for so many people to reach. Being at peace with an alternative plan that fits me. So that's when I decided to focus on this as a career and study NLP and coaching and develop these specific tools that I had in a way used on myself as, as I was growing up and coping with the issues, but I didn't have, I didn't have the formula on paper. So it was as I learned coaching and NLP that I reflected on my journey and how I managed to get where I, I am now and put it on paper so I could support other people get where I am in the easiest possible way. And how have you found that it's been since you've kind of put it down and you've created this program? How's the reaction been with people that you're working with? It makes sense because it's so simple to use. Um, so I guide people to, into identifying where they are right now in their lives um, in terms of their physical, um, physical health, in terms of their mental health and specifically in terms of their reproductive health. So where are you right now? And then I talk to them about what is their goal, where do they want to be and why is it um, important to them? Some people want to experience motherhood or parenthood some people have the goal of getting pregnant um, and wouldn't consider adoption, for instance. So I want to understand what is your specific goal and why does that goal matter to you? And then once we know where you are and where you want to be, we identify options 
so the way to get you um, to get you there and once we talk about all the options you choose the option that suits you best and then we work together with a detailed plan to to move you towards that that goal that you have I mean, it's such a specific, as we've talked about, diagnosis. And I actually spoke to another another lady on this podcast about a year ago who is 19. And she talks about her diagnosis that had only been in the last couple of years. Um, I don't know whether you've come across her. She's called Tasha. She has a project called The Pants Project. Uh, yes, I, I've seen her in, on social media, yes. I remember in our chat her talking about how she felt disgusting when she'd found out and you talked about working with people and their mental health. And I'm interested to know, because you sounded so together when you talked about your 17-year-old self being adamant you're going to overcome this and you know, giving you that strength. I wonder how people's mental health is affected by this because the decisions you've just described are huge to try and work out what you're going to do I mean I imagine it's quite a lengthy process people can't make these decisions quickly can they and how do you find they are mentally um so I'm in a lot of groups um on social media secret groups with people who have MRKH from all over the world and unfortunately Mental health is a big part of it. Because mm. at, at 17, we're not ready to have our identity challenged because we really don't have our identity formed yet at that young age. And we haven't made decisions about our reproductive history. And yet those decisions are being taken away from us. And um, so mental health is a big part of it. And there's not a lot of counselling uh available in the UK so it's a big problem and it's um, something I feel very passionate about is the way the the diagnosis is delivered to these teenage girls and having counseling available after they they receive the diagnosis because it ends up affecting their identity which is just being formed it affects the way they pursue um, studies the way they work the way they relate to other people and their relationship with themselves as well. I've seen uh, girls trying to commit suicide, girls starting a relationship that weren't really healthy for them. And it can last a lifetime. Mm. So it's really important to have the right support here in the NHS. And then again, when I talk to people from all over the world, it's even it can be even worse because in other cultures, especially in Asian culture or in African cultures, having children is really important. So if you are faced with a circumstance of not having, not being able to carry a child when you're just a teenager, your family can often deserts you and doesn't talk to you and you're by yourself and you're just a teenager. Mm. So I do feel very strongly that these people need support. And that's why I, I always give 10% of my work for free for people who can't afford. Because when I listen to these stories from abroad, people who are by themselves and they're a teenager and they don't know what to do, my heart just breaks. It's amazing what you're doing. I just cannot not help. Mm. Because I know you do a lot of work on Skype, don't you? So you are able to work with people, like you've said, all over. And how many books have you written now? Yeah, so the first one, 
is called the formula to not giving a fuck about fertility and <laughs> it's an interesting title but i chose this title because i wanted people to take a deep breath and in, embrace an alternative plan because when we are grown-ups so i i found out very young but usually we find out about our fertility challenges when we are grown-ups and we try to get pregnant and we're expecting it to happen now and then it doesn't happen um and fertility becomes the most important thing in our lives uh affecting our relationship our work and we can't think about anything else so i wrote this book because i wanted people to think twice and open their minds to alternative plans because usually what we are led to believe that fertility happens very quickly and when we want it that's often not the case and there are so many plan b's that we can embrace so this book is about opening your mind to a plan b and and then i've written two other books one of them about uh, affirmations for your fertility journey because this is a roller coaster of emotions we go through and when we are expecting month after month to get pregnant or when we are having miscarriages our emotions are all over the place so affirmations help us um, be certain and be in control of our journey so i've written one for people trying to get pregnant and who are already pregnant to carry on um, maintaining control over their emotions and another book with affirmations for people who are trying to cope with infertility and are not looking for treatment at the moment. Okay. Well, we'll put all the details of your website and how people can, can access you on the show notes. And as far as where you're at now, are you happy to share where you are with your plans? Yes. So I've been through a few years where I didn't want to date people who wanted children because that was very challenging for me feel that I couldn't give them something they wanted so I was choosing men who didn't want children and I was telling myself I don't want children and then I met my current partner and things changed a bit I don't want children for the time being and he doesn't want children for the time being but we are both at peace with the fact that we might change our minds in the future and if we do we know there will be a plan B for us. We know there's always an option. So, and being at peace is just the best feeling ever. It feels like I'm not fighting against myself or fighting against um, the universe. It's just being at peace that I know what will be, will be the best that can happen for me. Amazing. Well, it sounds like an amazing place to be. And I think as far as anybody listening who has either found out that this is the diagnosis that they're trying to come to terms with or people who are in close contact with anybody who who is dealing with it, I think it's an amazing sign of your resilience and your self-belief to to, to reach that point. And I commend you for it. Yeah. Well, it has taken me 17 years. (laughs) Well, 17 years of hard work, but worth it. Yes, definitely worth it. Yes. All right, Andrea. Well, look. It's possible. That's the message I want to to pass on. It's possible to be in a better place despite your fertility challenges. Thank you. It's been lovely chatting to you. Thank you, Natalie. And I look forward to uh, just sharing what you do 
with with people because I think it's I think it's remarkable. I think to have that belief is just is so special. So so well done you and keep up the good work. Thank you, Natalie. Bye. Bye. The Fertility Podcast is supported by Ovusense. If you're trying to monitor your cycle and finding it overwhelming, Ovusense is the only ovulation monitor on the market that is a class two medical device. It has a vaginal sensor and app and fits like a tampon, so it's really easy to use and comfortable to wear. Now you use it at night while you sleep and then in the morning, you simply remove, wash it and download your data to see your cycle pattern. Now Ovusense has proven comfortable for women in over 10,000 cycles of use and can predict ovulation up to a day in advance and can confirm it with 99% accuracy. To find out more, visit ovisense.com. The Fertility Podcast is also supported by IVF Matters, the UK's first online fertility clinic, where you can order tests delivered to your door, have scans at multiple locations, and speak to consultants in the comfort of your own home. It's a truly unique way to experience your fertility journey. And you can find out more at ivfmatters.co.uk. So the show notes for this episode are thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash Andrea, which is spelled A-N-D-R-E-I-A. Okay, so there you'll find details of Andrea's work, her, her website, Infertile Life, the books that she's written, and also how you can follow her on social media. Now, at the start of this podcast episode, I did refer to some episodes that I put out last Christmas about dealing with Christmas, and I'm going to put links to them in the show notes. Now, do have a look around thefertilitypodcast.com. It's a relatively new website to celebrate my 100th episode. And uh, you can also leave me your email to make sure you don't miss an episode, which comes out every Monday. You can follow me online at Fertility Poddy on Twitter and Instagram. And I have a Facebook page, The Fertility Podcast, which you can go and like. And I'm going to be doing much more Facebook Live stuff in there in 2018. I can't believe it's nearly the end of the year, honestly. A couple more episodes to share with you before the end of the year. I'm still here. I will still be chatting to you. Do not fear. And if you want to get in touch, let me know what you're up to if you want to share your story. It'll be ace to hear from you. My email is natalie at thefertilitypodcast.com. Until the next time.